Our text today is one of my favorite in scripture. Uh, I hope you could feel the import of it. It's, there's, there's humor there. It's funny. It makes me think of, uh, of Isaac. Isaac means he laughs, and Isaac represented Christ. And there's something funny about this whole, this whole passage. These, these two sad disciples walking with their risen Savior, recalling this great prophet and what he did and what happened to him, this Jesus of Nazareth, talking about him as if he isn't right next to them as if he isn't talking back to them and conversing with them. And we're told that they can't see him, right? Their eyes were restrained. And Jesus plays along. He's like, who are you guys talking about? Tell me more about this guy. So it's great. There's these sad hearts, these, these sad guys talking to the desire of their hearts without realizing it. And the desire of their hearts, Jesus is drawing out of them what's in their sad hearts. And what is on their sad hearts? The passion the crucifixion, the empty tomb, reports of angels saying this Jesus of Nazareth was no longer dead, that this Jesus was alive. So these men had all the pertinent information, right? They're kind of rehearsing the gospel back to him in some ways, but they don't understand it. They knew the scriptures, they relayed all the events, they had all the factoids, they possessed all the dots, but they couldn't connect those dots. And Jesus calls them fools. Calls them foolish ones. Slow to believe all that the prophets uh, had prophesied about their Messiah. Slow to believe all that, they, all that had been written in their Bibles. Slow to believe what they heard in their lectionary readings uh, every Sabbath at synagogue. Slow to believe everything that this great prophet Jesus had said would happen. In this moment, we kind of have a microcosm of God and his people. From the Garden of Eden to the road out of Jerusalem, we have uh, God's people being slow to believe. Israel throughout her history had been slow to believe. And yet God continued to walk with them. He continued to talk to them. He continued to reveal himself to them. In the progression of the covenants, the patriarchs, the exodus, the wilderness wanderings, the judges, the kingdom, the prophets, the exile, and the return incrementally from Adam to Malachi and finally in his son, this Jesus of Nazareth and this Jesus of Nazareth began to reveal everything concerning himself, starting in Moses and going all the way through the prophets. And he taught these men as he walked with them on the road to Emmaus. Now we don't know exactly what Jesus taught, but in another sense, we know what Jesus taught. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the means of grace that give us eyes to see these things now. We have the scriptures. We can study them. We can draw out of them the things concerning this Jesus. So per permit us to imagine for a moment what this conversation on the road to Emmaus would have been. Something that it would have looked like. Perhaps Jesus would have said something like, have you not read what Moses wrote when God put Adam to sleep and formed a woman from his side? This foretold of this Jesus of Nazareth dying on the cross and his bride forming out of his pierced side through blood and water. And the men kind of furrow their brows and they look quizzically at this Jesus who they don't know is Jesus, right? But they're intrigued. It sparks something. Their hearts are kind of warming. And Cleopas, who seemed to be the more talkative one, he may have said something like, huh, that's kind of interesting. 
Please, sir, would you tell us more? And Jesus says, Adam's sleep was a kind of death. Yes, and this Jesus of Nazareth is a new Adam who is making a new humanity. Have you not read what Moses wrote when he wrote the Proto-Evangelion? And the disciples say, the Proto-what? And Jesus says, the first gospel, the Lord told the serpent that the seed of the woman would crush his head and the serpent would crush his heel. This Jesus of Nazareth is that seed whose heel was crushed three days ago. But in that crushing, the head of Satan was also crushed. Remember the prophet Isaiah said of the Messiah, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And that after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And the disciples say, wow, that's, I hadn't thought of that. That's kind of interesting. These words of Jesus kind of like kindling and, and sparks on their hearts. Remember also the Lord gave them animal skins to cover their nakedness. Their nakedness represented sin. And the skins came from animals who had to die to give them that covering. This was to show forth the kind of death this Jesus of Nazareth that you were talking about would have to die to cover the sins of his people. Have you not read that Cain killed his brother Abel? And this foretold of the kind of death that this Jesus of Nazareth would have to suffer. Death at the hands of his brother Israelites. And then God gave Adam a son named Seth, meaning appointed, this kind of resurrected Abel, because God appointed another seed instead of Abel. And this foreshadowed Jesus' resurrection. And it also distinguished his blood from Abel's, which cried out for vengeance. But Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, his blood cries out for forgiveness. Remember when God destroyed the old creation in the flood? He saved Noah through an ark, and he brought forward this new creation? This Jesus of Nazareth is that ark. He is the ark of salvation. In him our old creations die, our new creations live. His death and resurrection wipes away the old humanity, and it brings forth a new humanity. Remember when Melchizedek brought bread and wine to Abraham after he defeated all those kings of the earth in that battle? Well, this was to show forth the kind of death that Jesus would suffer. That he would give his body like life-giving bread and his blood like new wine in victory over his enemies. By this bread and wine, the new covenant of this Jesus of Nazareth was anticipated. This was given to Abraham following his victory over his enemies. And this corresponds with the Jesus of Nazareth who has attained victory over all his enemies, including death and Hades. And he gives that victory to his people. Now, you guys weren't there, but I have it on good authority that this Jesus of Nazareth identified the bread and wine of the Passover meal with his body and blood. That he did this on the very night that he was betrayed in Gethsemane. And Cleopas and his friend are like, how do you know these things? But they're interested. They want, they want to know more. Their hearts are starting to catch fire. Remember when God says to Abraham that his seed would bless the nations. It was concerning this Jesus who is that seed. Go look in the scrolls. It's in the singular. It's not seeds. It's seed. And that's about Jesus. Remember when Jesus taught about the kernel of wheat that had to go into the ground to die before it could give fruit? Jesus is the seed who had to go into the ground before he could give fruit, the fruit of his resurrection. His resurrection is the first fruits of what will be the resurrection of all who believe in him. 
He is the seed who dies. He is the seed of Abraham. Remember when God made a covenant with Abraham and deep sleep fell on Abraham, kind of like Adam? Remember that? And then there was great horror and darkness that fell on the earth too. And Cleopas and his friends are like, yeah, yeah. Just like the great darkness that fell on the earth when this Jesus of Nazareth was crucified three days ago. And they're like, yeah, that was pretty scary. It was dark for three hours from noon to three. And remember the animals that were cut in two and God's fiery present passed between these sacrificed animals? This was to show the way in which God's covenant to Abraham would come to pass. That God himself would make, him, make himself the sacrificial ratification of that covenant. This Jesus of Nazareth is that sacrificial ratification. He has done this. Remember when Moses wrote of the sign of the covenant given to Abraham. And Cleopas says, yeah, we still, we still carry that sign to this day. We are men of circumcision. And he says, yes, you are. And when did God command that circumcision to take place? On the eighth day. That's right. What day is it today? Well, it's the first day. Yes, but it's also the eighth day. Today is the day after the seventh day. It is the day of a new week. It is the day of a new creation. And this Jesus of Nazareth, who the angel said is alive, is alive on the eighth day. He is our circumcision. He is the shed blood of the covenant. He is the removal of flesh from the body. This Jesus of Nazareth gives us a circumcision of the heart. And then Cleopas says, well, that one's kind of strange. I'll have to think about that. But Moses did write about circumcising our hearts too, I think. And then Jesus says, yes, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, he tells our fathers not to be stiff-necked any longer, but to circumcise their hearts. This heart religion in the Old Testament. You guys remember the heart religion in the Old Testament? The prophet Jeremiah says the same thing. Jeremiah even, he says that our, our unfaithful fathers who were circumcised weren't really circumcised. That not all those who are of the circumcision are of the circumcision. That true men of circumcision are those who trust in God with their whole heart. This Jesus of Nazareth who resurrected on the eighth day is our circumcision. Remember when Moses wrote of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac and then Abraham received him back figuratively from the dead? This was to show forth what kind of death this Jesus of Nazareth would have to endure. But that he would be truly sacrificed, unlike Isaac. God reserved the sacrifice of his son for himself. And that like Isaac, he would also be resurrected, not figuratively, but truly that he would truly and literally rise again from the dead. And I tell you, brothers, these reports from the angels are true. He has risen from the dead. Remember, Abraham said that the Lord will provide a lamb. This Jesus of Nazareth is that lamb. Abraham called the mountain what? The Lord will provide. And this Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord has provided. Remember what happens after Isaac is figuratively resurrected? And then Cleopas' friend chimes in. He married Rebecca. That's right. He received a bride, a virgin bride. And this Jesus of Nazareth is now receiving a virgin, virgin bride. And that virgin bride is his pure people. And then Cleopas' friend says, well, I'm not that pure. 
Then repent and believe, brother. The prophet Isaiah says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This Jesus of Nazareth died for your sins. And Cleopas responds, this is all quite a bit to take in. But I feel this strange warmness in my heart. And Jesus continues to speak his words like wind on the small embers of their hearts, making them glow brighter and warmer. Remember when Moses led our fathers out of their bondage in Egypt? Of course, Moses delivered God's people from slavery. Well, that slavery represented the bondage of sin. Pharaoh and his armies represented Satan and his minions. And Moses represented this Jesus of Nazareth, who also frees his people from sin and destroys the devil. Remember the tabernacle? Yes, but we have a temple now. Well, you won't have it for long, but the tabernacle and the temple all concern this Jesus of Nazareth. He is the washing of purification in the bronze sea out in the, the court. He's the blood sacrifices on the altar of the court. He is the light on the seven branch lampstand in the holy place. He is the showbread in the holy place. He is the altar of incense that is a pleasing aroma to God. He is the presence of God above the mercy seat in the most holy place. He is the rod of Aaron in the ark. He is the tables of the law in the ark. He is the bread of heaven, the manna in the ark. He is the tabernacle. He is the temple. He is the tabernacle who tabernacled among us. And now that he has offered himself up as the lamb without blemish, we are now his tabernacle, temples of the spirit of God. He is the lamb of the atonement and also the high priest who acts as our mediator between us and God. When this Jesus of Nazareth was crucified on Friday, the veil of the most holy place was torn all the way from the top down to the bottom. And we are now able to approach God like our high priests have been able to because of what this Jesus of Nazareth has done. He has made us all priests now. The entire Levitical priesthood in the temple worship was about this Jesus of Nazareth, who is our high priest and is our temple. He's also made us kings, and he is going to lead us into battle like kings. He is going to lead us into battle against Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Like the angel of the Lord led Joshua into battle against the land of Canaan. He's going to show us how to wage war and not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. He's going to show us how to defeat his enemies like he did through love and sacrifice. Just as Gideon and Samson and King David led God's people to victory, so too this Jesus of Nazareth has led us to victory and will lead us to victory. And he has shown us how to attain that victory in him. He will wage war by drowning men in baptism, which will unite men with this Jesus of Nazareth's death and resurrection. And Cleopas, thinking out loud, he says, so this Messiah is not going to bring a kingdom? And 
And Jesus says, Cleopas, you were expecting merely a worldly victory like David against the Philistines. But I tell you, friend, this Jesus of Nazareth has attained a far greater, longer lasting victory, an eternal kingdom and everlasting rule in heaven and on earth. He is the king, the dying and resurrecting king. And what you are expecting on earth will indeed happen, but not the way that you think. He will convert the nations. He will bring them all into his kingdom. All the kings of the earth in his timing and in his way will bend their neck to this Jesus of Nazareth and bring their treasures to the Jerusalem that is above. Remember the prophet Habakkuk said the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Of course. Well, this Jesus of Nazareth is ushering in that reality right now. And you will be some of the first to usher in this kingdom in our Psalter. Remember what King David said. He he said, prophesying the Messiah. This is about the Jesus of Nazareth that you're talking about. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. And so as the disciples walked with Jesus without realizing it, and as Jesus taught them more and more the things in Scripture concerning himself, that trust that David talk about, talked about began burning brighter and brighter in the hearts of Cleopas and his friend. But their eyes were still dim. So they had these burning hearts, but they still had these dim eyes. But then they had this meal with Jesus, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him. They saw him. Their Savior, who had just finished setting their hearts on fire, which, by the way, has a lot of imagery in the Old Testament. God brings the fire to the tabernacle, to the temple, fire from heaven. I think that that's what God is doing here. He's bringing fire into the hearts of these men. And once they were able to do that, once they were able to have their eyes open with their communion meal with Jesus... They started to connect the dots. Those individual factoids congealed together in the person of Christ right before their eyes. And they believed. And then Jesus vanishes. But then they get up that very hour and they turn back around to Jerusalem. It's almost kind of this narratival form of repentance. Repentance means to turn around, basically. It means to do a U-turn. And they're going to Emmaus, and then they're like, we got to go back. And so they go back. They go back to Jerusalem, and they proclaim the gospel. Now contrast this to the beginning of our passage. These mopey, sad disciples walking along with their sad hearts became glad hearts. They, when they were slow to believe, they were sad. But when they were quick to believe all that the scriptures said, they were made glad. They were spurred to kingdom action. And there's no greater joy than that, to do the will of Jesus. There is joy in believing all that the scriptures say concerning Jesus. 
this, this joy of belief spurred these men to immediately turn around and go back to Jerusalem. As messengers of the gospel, what do they say? They say what our call and response was. He is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they begin to recount what their encounter and their communion with Jesus was like in the breaking of the bread. So they begin to experience the joy of belief. Their hearts, their gladdened hearts. They begin to live out these hearts on fire of those who have seen Jesus, of those who spread the good news of his resurrection and all that the scriptures have said concerning him. So they were no longer sad men, but they were glad men. And that's what the resurrection of Christ does. It brings joy to men. And because we have that joy, we do the same. The risen Savior has made our hearts glad by his word and by his communion with us. And he spurs us into kingdom work. And we proclaim today and every day that the Lord is risen and that he is risen indeed. So let's pray. The charge is this. Be glad. Be joyful. Have glad hearts. Be ecstatic. Be thrilled. Our Lord is risen. He has conquered death. He has fulfilled all the prophecies. The Lord has come and he's accomplished it all. He's accomplished victory on the cross and from the grave. So believe all that the scriptures say concerning Jesus. Fill them in your hearts. Teach them to your children as you sit in your house, as you walk in the park, as you lie down on your beds and as you wake up in the morning. Share them with your friends and family and co-workers go out into your neighborhoods and towns and cities proclaiming the resurrected king let your burning hearts spur you to kingdom action in all that you do the world is falling apart right now we have all lost dear friends and family the babylonians are tearing down the temple because the people of god have trusted more in their own worship than in the true worship of god and all that he has said concerning himself but be glad Christ lives and reigns and nothing can kill his church. Even when God destroys it, he always keeps a remnant and he resurrects the church again and he keeps it going. He keeps ruling. He keeps reigning just as he has throughout all these, uh, all these years. He is the resurrected king who rules and reigns. So be glad. The Lord lives and so do you. He lives forever and so will you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go in peace to love and serve the Lord.